Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. Hello, my name's RJ. I'm here with Megan. Hey Megan. Hey RJ, how are you? Good, good. Um, Jonathan is here, or he's not here, but he will be here soon. So um, <laughs> He's on his way. He's on his way. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he'd be right there, which is, you know, in the in, on the internet, it's just, you know, people can be right there. Um, Megan, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I love long weekends like the best. I'm still like struggling to get back to like real life after like a three week vacation. So now I'm, I'm glad for the long weekend so I can continue to delay that 
reality check. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to enjoy this time of year. This is not my favorite time of year. Yeah. Just winter. Yeah. yeah. Winter and like this long slog from like January to March where there's like not much to look forward to. Although I am going to Mexico this year. So that's yeah. something I look forward to. Yeah. Every day is a gift, Megan. It's true. <laughs> it's true, RJ. It's so you true. Know, just think about it like that. Um, <laughs> well, while we're waiting for Jonathan, I had I have a I have an announcement, not an announcement, but a correction Ooh. from last week. Um, my, I, I said that um, we were talking about our first concerts, and Jonathan asked our first concerts, and I said my stepbrother took me to my first concert, Nine Inch Nails. And although yeah. he is my stepbrother, I never refer to him. I almost always refer to him as my brother because I've known him since I was three, you know, two or three. And my one of my relatives saw it and told him. And then he he texted me and was like, why do you call me your stepbrother? Oh, and no. I was like, I don't know. I usually don't. But um, so <laughs> just like came out. So, yeah. So to my brother, Jim. Hello. And it was his birthday two days ago. So happy birthday. Oh, that's nice. Happy birthday, Jim. Um, he took a young RJB to a Nine Inch Nails concert, which is really so awesome. Like, I just yeah. love picturing you as this young kid at a Nine Inch Nails concert. I did not fit you must in. Have been, yeah, you must have been like, what is going on it here? It was terrifying. It was, it was It was fully terrifying. So this is the second of our 40 for 40 project where we bring you a fish or, or other show to celebrate the band's 40th anniversary. So every week we're going to be revisiting another show and... We're um we're on to 1984, um, but I guess at first I should say we would really appreciate it if you all subscribe to Osiris Premium. Um, you can go to osirispod.com slash premium. We're going to put out another bonus episode in the next day or so. Um, so, you know, support what we're doing. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you more amazing content and you guys are going to come hang out with us. Um, so, Megan, we decided for this year, 1984, to not do the show that I think most people have listened to, the 12-184 show from Nectars, and we decided to do the 11-3 show from Slade Hall in at the University of Vermont. And I think there's maybe a reason why people listen to the 12-1 <laughs> show over the 11-3 show. We, we listened to that for you, for you all, so you didn't have to. That's exactly right. We did it. So you don't have to listen to a really poor recording, but it was worth it. I listened to it twice now and I feel like it was, it was worth it. It's jammy. It's a jammy show. So it's kind of cool. I think it was, it was fun. I mean, there was, there was a lot going mm -hmm. on there. There's like, there, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Not a lot of originals, no, no Trey originals yet. Um, but, but there's some, you know, there's one original by Jeff Holdsworth and, um, you start to, I mean, I think compared to last week, the 83 show we talked about, like they sound like an actual band now. Yeah, I agree. Right? Like that was the thing mm -hmm. I noticed. This was like, this is like, sounds like a band that that's practicing and rehearsing and, and sounding, sounding pretty good. But um, I guess before we get into that, we should talk about the, like what we know about this show. So Slade Hall, it, it's one set. It might be incomplete. We don't really know. Um there's some cutting in, in the show. We know that Mark Daubert made a guest appearance uh, at the very end. And, you know, this, this could have been a two set show. We might be, we might be totally missing um, a set. And then the, there were tapes that circulated from the show that said 11, 
So that was wrong. But it's also, according to Fishnet, it's possible that the show was actually on eleven two eighty four. So we don't really the, yeah. in the fish book. In the fish book, there's a flyer for eleven two. So we don't really know when this show happened. We don't know much about it, and we don't know if it's a full show or not. But besides that, we we do know what they played. And Probably we also happened, know some yeah. things about it. Oh, Jonathan's back. Jonathan's here. Yeah. Probably hey. happened in 1984, right? That, you know that. that we know. That we know. That we know. <laughs> and it's cool to think about because it's actually their like, third show. The second show they played like a few days after the show we talked about last week. And then, which was like another dorm gig. And then they they were on this like oh. hiatus basically over the summer or in the spring and the summer because of Trey's prank that he. Well, we do have. Um like one song in a set list from an October show as well, according mm-hmm. to fish.net. So, you know, they, there may have been other shows. We just don't have any, any documentation. <clears throat> Apparently yeah. nobody thought sure. to start fish.net back in the eighties. Yeah. Lame. It's a loss, but, but we know there weren't shows in the spring and the summer because Trey was kicked right. out of VBM or suspended. I should say for sending a, was, a heart and a hand in he was the on mail. a break. He was on, he a, was break. on a break. Yeah. I think yeah. he was taking an academic break, you know, yeah. like a lot of college yeah. kids <laughs> exploring um, yeah. other opportunities and avenues yeah. of life. But it worked Ryan, out great because Tom Marshall was as well. And yeah. so they ended up reconnecting in New Jersey. True. So it worked and, out. And what Jonathan, what we said before Jonathan joined is like, there's no Trey songs yet. So, you know, it's sort of like a good, it's a good time. And I'm sure he was writing some stuff, but you know, we don't see any of that until, till a little bit later. Um, Brian from attendance bias has this comment that the band themselves don't know exactly when their first show was or where, or when certain shows were played, which is true. It's so amazing how different that is now. It's sort of an obvious point, but you know, you can't really play a show without it being on the internet. <laughs> like even like yeah. a really small band playing a little bar like it's gonna be i don't know there's info yeah you, there's like a trail I, I, you could find some sort of advertisement on instagram or something for it so yeah you can't trust the internet though to preserve that stuff i mean mm-hmm. a lot of bands almost entire online existences is from the early part of this century disappeared when myspace dived so um you know everybody get you know, a you got to be your own archivist until you're cool enough and big enough that somebody else cares to do it. So just remember, just remember, take care of your, your own information out there. Well, Jonathan, Jonathan, as a, um, as an IT professional, what do you recommend paper? Um, Multiple solid state hard drives. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to make recommendations. Don't hold me to a good nothing, old trusty y'all. notebook. Trusty yeah, notebook. because those don't disappear notebook. or fall apart or anything like that. I don't know. I have all my old notebooks. I don't have any of my I, old computer stuff. I'll tell you that. I much. do too. I'm a terrible person. I have all my old computer stuff too. But God knows what I'm going <laughs> to how I'm going to read these five and a quarter inch floppies. So exactly. Brian last week did an amazing job of what happened in 1983, and he talked about like kind of the cultural. You know, milestones. And this is only one year later, so we don't have to talk that much because it was only the next year. Although, And plus, Brian's not here to do it, so we'll just... Oh, no, I got to cover it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. All I was going to say is okay. just that it was it was the year that the Summer Olympics were held in Los Angeles, which was a big deal, and I don't think it has anything to do with this show. Um, 
What what else, Jonathan? What else happened in 1984? Everything from 1983 plus one. That's it. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> that tracks. They plus did. One. Apple had that 1984 ad, the Super Bowl yeah. ad, like yeah. the Orwellian 1984 ad. That's the thing that happened. Oh. Um, I wonder what else happened. There was some. There's some other stuff. There's some weird stuff that happened in a lot of different countries. Also. Yes, Probably, 1984 yeah. was a year that transpired, and um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't bother to research the year at all because I'm here to talk about fish. All right, that's fine. I mean, eleven <laughs> three. Um, <laughs> so we're in, we're on, and we've talked about Jonathan. Just to catch you up quickly, sorry for the repeat to the listeners. Um, we listen to this show so you don't have to because the sound quality is bad. Um, this was a Saturday night in, in Burlington. It was actually three days before the 1984 election when Reagan won um, a landslide, really, um, re-election. It was, beat it was called a landslide. It was called a landslide. and it, But that's not what the song Landslide is about, I don't think. No, no. They no. were predicting uh, Ronald Reagan's electoral success in 1984. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that there was no other musical... It was it was really about Dukakis because it was about the landslide. The landslide <laughs> brought you down. Is the lyric? So was- I see. I see. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So fish is clearly. I think from listening to this, and again, you know, you can listen to the highlights, and there are only really there's only one set, like we said, but they sound like a different band from 1983. I don't know. This is a this is a little bit of a of a jump forward. I think they sound rehearsed. You can hear them calling songs. Like it sounds like they're more of a real a real band than, uh, than they were a year before. They've had a few more practices, I think by this point. Um, yeah. And they've come back together and I think started rehearsing kind of in earnest together after when Trey's back. And I think they're probably pretty inspired. Trey's going to start bringing new music to them that he's writing. And I think it's a pretty exciting time for them probably. Yeah. I, I want to talk more about how horrible the tape is, uh, real quick. It's really bad. Um, it is, do not listen to this on headphones, folks. Put it on some speakers just <laughs> for the sake of your ears. It is, I mean, it's a overloaded cassette tape. It is not mixed for your pleasure. Um, it is just, it's really fatiguing to listen to. And I, I was, I think I texted you guys. I think it was after, can you hear me knocking? St. Yeah. Stephen, yeah. can you hear me knocking? There's this pause where it goes completely quiet. And I, I let out a, an audible sigh of relief. My wife looks in, what's going on? It's like, oh, it got quiet. <laughs> <laughs> it stopped. It stopped. Yeah. I was telling you, I had to literally stop in the middle and listen to like, the Rich and Bobby sit in of Peggy O last night from playing in the sand because I was like, I just need to like clean my ears with something like clean. But, but really, but cool. yeah, we're just talking about sound quality, right? Right. Yes. No, it's yeah. The performance is a different story. Yeah. Um, also terrible, but differently. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's. <laughs> it, I want part of the reason that the sound quality is so frustrating is because I think there's a lot going on here that you're not really able to hear. Yeah. Um, I think that Holdsworth is lost in the tape somewhere. Sometimes I think I'm hearing him. Sometimes I'm certain I'm just hearing Trey. Um, Sometimes I can't tell. Mike comes through really well. He is actually part of the problem on the tape. 
believe it or not. It's kind of the opposite of the MSG uh, live fish release. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, Mike's the problem. You mean that it's too, it's, there's a lot of, uh, well, yeah, the bass is part of what's overloading. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I, it sounds like it was recorded on one of those little like cassette players that you guys might be too young. Megan, you might remember these the cassette decks that are just like, I'm only like a year or two long. older than RJ. Yeah. I just want yeah, to say, yeah, sure. like, I, I'm like uh, five, 10 years older think, than RJ. I think if you was closer to my age, but not, I don't remember really younger. Tips. And I would not guess that you were uh, uh, your age. So there, uh, but you know, it was one of these like things they use in class and just would sit on a tabletop and it has this tiny built-in mic and it sounds like shit. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that kind of recording, maybe a boom box on the side of the room. Do you, do you guys think it was, it was that loud in the, in the room or do you think it was just the recording? Cause it sounds like it was, it's basically like, like raging, but it's, it's really just the recording. Like it probably wasn't that, that loud where the tape room. machine is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is apparently right next to the speakers. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah. It's too bad they had to get a professional sound person. Cause like maybe all, what if all the shows sounded like this? It'd be, it'd be interesting. Um, so I guess what else do we need to say to kind of set this up? Because I think there's, you know, there's some really cool jamming in here and I think there's, you know, I feel like that's what, that's what we're here for, but well, Jonathan, this is, is also any... one okay, of their ahead, first yeah. shows that they're billed as fish, right? This is, they've hmm. just decided on this name and kind of put this name together and now they're officially fish and it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. I mean, according to them, they were always fish, but we, we know, we know differently. So yeah, I agree that that's, that is important. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only one original in this as well. Yeah. 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 A Holdsworth yeah. original, it should be noted. Well, and the, yeah, no Trey originals yet. And, and as Megan said, you know, we're getting some good collaborations starting around now between Tom and, and Trey, um, which is which is cool. Um, it's not long. It's, uh, you know, expanding the context here a little bit. It's just yeah. a month from when Trey originals we know are, are circulating. So um, mm-hmm. they were they were coming maybe in the works. And you can almost hear hints of them during at least one of the jams. Um, yeah, you yeah, think he's bringing in some of that stuff? Yeah, because their next show, they play Fluffhead and Slave. They play a couple the next originals. recorded, yeah. known next show. show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nectar I, I think it's just, I, I don't mean to correct you. I just think it's worth noting for the people yeah. out there who will no, come and true. correct us that, you know, these are the only shows we know about. Um, there may well be other performances of some kind in between but what is a city without its music the legacy of the new york philharmonic is incredible nearly two centuries of history that's a lot of music and a lot of stories i was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking i can't quite believe this is happening Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Then again, maybe not. We'll never know. No, we will not. We'll never know, and I'm, I'm still confused. I think someone needs to, maybe we can get like a foundation somewhere to give us a little bit of a you know, a grant to go 
to Vermont and go digging through the archives. Do you think someone's done that already? Do you think someone's already gone to UVM yes. and dug through the archives Guarantee. trying to find If nothing else, like UVM students who were fish heads have yeah. delved yeah. horn through the stacks. I mean, this is how we got Trey's, well, I guess it was Goddard, but you know, this kind of thing is how we got things like Trey's uh, thesis and all of that. People looked around, people have excavated wherever they may. Uh, yeah. At some point there will be a dig at Ian's farm. Dig. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll find excavation. The, we'll find the pig and, uh, I don't know if I but trust. But I do feel like I this I is why I actually people. feel like we have to say that this is the, the next show. You can say it's like the the next show because somebody would have found out if there was evidence somewhere. About Again, though, pre-internet flyers get lost. Nobody bothers to remember. They all kind of run together after a while. Um, it's uh, it just we have to be open to the possibility. That's all. That's, That's fair. fair. And we, I want to say that the the next show, which we're not going to touch on, this was um, Nectar's Upstairs twelve one eighty four, um, which is Metronome, and and our friends who now run Nectar's are starting to put shows on up there. And I, I saw the room a couple months ago; it's still there. It's a cool That's place. So, cool. so when you're when you're in Burlington, go to Nectar's and check it out. There will be bands playing upstairs and downstairs all year. Um, one thing just for musical context, there were, I feel like 84 in my mind is like very important musically, but I was looking today at like the albums that were released in 84. There's some, there's some, you know, interesting albums. I don't know how, I think it's less of a milestone than I thought. Like you have 1984, Van Halen, Bon Jovi's debut, Born in the USA, Purple Rain, Double Nickels on the Dime, Red Hot Chili Peppers debut, Unforgettable Fire, Stop Making Sense. Those are the ones that I noted. But I don't know. There, There's not like, you know, I mean, Born in the USA was was a kind of a game-changing album in, in some ways. But it's not, bon it's not all that revolutionary. No, but um, Bon Jovi is going to like dominate pop music for like a while. I mean, Bon Jovi is like bro- the soundtrack November of my youth, I feel 5th, like. True. November 5th, Brian Adams released Reckless, which was a huge record in the time. Um, And this is exactly what uh, Fish was working against. Um, The uh, Tears for Fears later that month would release Shout, which was, I think it was from their second album. It was their first like number one hit. I don't think Mm. it hit number one until like the next year. It took a while to. Can I go back to Brian Adams for a second? I mean, if you must. <laughs> was that, that was like the, that had all of his, or, or many of his big, big songs. Yeah. I never yeah. owned the album, surprisingly. Yeah, but you, you know half the songs. Yeah. Even yeah. if you don't want to, you know half the songs. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's see. Oh, Do They Know It's Christmas was recorded that month. I think it came out later. Um, boy, what an, what an arrogant song that is. Um <laughs> And uh, in December, Tipper Gore formed the PMRC, which gave us those little label stickers on yeah. our records. Oh, and, uh, yeah. And uh, because she she heard Purple Rain. So. Gas. Thank you, Prince. Purple Rain. <laughs> well, Warren, Warren would write a, a, a song in, in an ode to Tipper Gore, which I remember getting that Warren album when I was like, you know, 10 or something. 
this something we have warrant albums yeah i mean i had it i had it i had warrant i had the warrant tape and then the last you guys know this that song ode to tipper gore right no i've never listened to a I've warrant heard of album. it so it's just it's just them cursing for like four minutes it's awesome it's so just them cool it's just them saying like fuck over and over <laughs> and when i was 11 and i got the cd i mean i was like that was kind of mind-blowing that that was that that was even possible that that existed um so now we're as usual not even talking about fish at all that's all right uh we should talk a little bit more uh, a couple something that's vaguely important to the to fish uh tangentially important uh frankie goes to hollywood's welcome to the pleasure dome had just come out um you know the song relax uh it was a big hit and of course is referenced in a later fish song uh mm. also big in this time i don't know ario Speedwagon wheels are turning that's kind of huge. Uh, XTC was still active and had put out an album early in the year, but I scrolled past it and I can't find it. Oh, the Big Express came out in October. Uh, good stuff. Um, and that's all I think I'm willing to go into. There's a cool, there's a Hawkwind album. I almost said there was a cool Hawkwind album, but it's 1980s Hawkwind. So it's not cool. Um, that's all I got. I don't even know what that is. I've never heard that of that. All right, we'll be uh, starting our Hawkwind podcast next week. Tune in for that. (laughs) Oh, God. People are going to be excited, especially the people who've never heard of Hawkwind. Um, Not not as excited as the people who have heard of Hawkwind. True. Good point. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what do we – the covers, I mean, man, it's so – it's just so crazy to see this, you know, this band that we're so used to playing – just a couple covers. This is like a show of covers, but I like I like in the midnight hour as an opener. I think it's a good. I mean, it's it's a great song, right? Like you know, can't really can't really call it anything other than like an awesome song. But how do you guys feel about this opener and how the how the set kind of develops? I think it takes nerve to sing that song if you're not in a like a wedding band in which case it doesn't matter if you're any good yeah. or an actual like blues singer r&b singer uh but i think they do a, a fine job and you know then they they stretch it a little and it it's kind of not a lot it's like six minutes but it's really like it's a very short song in reality and i think they do a nice job Yeah, I think that Trey and Mike kind of build off each other in really great ways in this version. There's like great energy, good pacing, good opener. And they come back into the song really well after their little like mini jam. And the crowd is just goes crazy for it. They're super enthusiastic. Or I don't know if there's just like five people there that are really into it, but they're like yelling and screaming. And then there's they're playing some samples that sound like a bell. They're kind of like Mm -hmm, like chimes or whatever. Yeah, there's like fair amount of samples in the show it's funny yeah yeah there was yeah and there's no keys obviously so there's you know mm-hmm. there's some reliance on like yeah those samples that's a, what are they making them for off like i don't know they, like a little machine or something what do you think no i i don't i don't honestly don't have any idea how they're making those noises is it um, fishman I mean, it could it's be like, somebody's digital watch just standing right next to the tape recorder i, I 
I, I'm kidding, but I really have no idea. I was also thinking that the the, the raucous crowd could be a handful of people uh, standing near the tape recorder. But there is some evidence mm-hmm. later of some very raucous behavior uh, in the audience, um, hoots and hollers and whatnots. So in in terms of of Wilson Pickett's songs slash covers, because he covered Mustang Sally, but it made it famous. Do you guys take Midnight Hour or Mustang Sally if you had to? Midnight Hour. Choose. Mm. I'd probably say Midnight Hour, although I like Mustang Sally. Mustang Sally is for a wedding or a random appearance of Bruce Springsteen, um, but otherwise Midnight <laughs> Hour. <laughs> so, so this the next after this yeah. they they play Wild Child, the Lou Reed song, which is fine. Um, I think it's cool. I I I like that. You know, this is uh this is from Lou's first record. It's mm-hmm. like this self-titled album right after uh he was doing Velvet Underground stuff. And I think some of these songs and maybe even this one was like supposed to go into be a VU song and didn't happen. That I watched that documentary on VU that seemed very Lou centric last year and I remember them talking about this point. Um but yeah, I guess Trey sang this with Space Antelope too, if anybody remembers the existence mm-hmm. of Space Antelope. Um, I think it's cool, but I think the jam is more important. Yeah. And, uh, it's pretty, it's, it's also very cool. Yeah. The jams here in, like you said, Megan, they're pretty interesting and they go outside of what you would expect from an 84, like a band that's been playing for a year. They, they all, in all these songs, like they go pretty far from the composition, um, pretty quickly, which is, which is really cool. Yeah, and they have really great segues too. Th- this version is hard to hear. This wild child, there's like the audio is particularly bad during the song, but it's very cool how they transition into the jam. And they played this song the next show too, and then a few times in '85, and then they play it once again at '88 in the front, and that's the end of it. But it's kind of cool. Totally I, bring it back. It's been right? like 1,700 shows. I looked at the stats, <laughs> and it's like they should they should bust that out in Mexico. That would be so awesome. Yeah, and this jam after is awesome. It's really like guitar driven y and it's just an amazing segue into Bertha too. It's I mean, these sound rehearsed. Like it sounds like they're practicing these kind of like segues into the songs. It's neat. Bertha's a as long as you you know once you know Bertha, it's like it's like an easy song. So it's kind of perfect to into. roll into from, you know, a guitar groove jam and that's kind of what they're doing. They kind of land mm-hmm. in there quite handily uh mm-hmm. i think it, it goes really well and the birth is fine um i like the little uh yeah i, I like it a lot i think it's, it's very cool very cool shit yeah i feel like he's putting a lot of like little flourishes into the solos I mean, he sounds like he's been playing a lot of guitar trey he really does he he sounds like he's been spending time with his guitar and i just there's a part of me that just loves so much when trey plays the grateful dead I just, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, yeah, Jonathan, there's a lot of Grateful Dead covers here. A couple. A couple. A couple. I mean, more than your typical fish show. So what do you think about, what do you think about this Bertha? It's good. It's rocking. Like, you know, it's, it's fine. It's what Bertha ought to be. Yeah. You know. Not enough people screaming when they when they do the test me test me lyric. So yeah, I just right. made that up. I don't remember if anybody was. <laughs> I don't think anyone I don't was. Think so. 
I don't think no. anyone Lame. Was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is in the Can't Hear Me Knocking. Great, like, you know, great cover. There, it was, the energy was great here. Um, this whole, the, during this whole show, the Can't you Hear Me Knocking was particularly cool. Like, you could hear people. Yeah. And like you said, Megan, maybe there were only five people, but they were loud and they were, they were pretty, they were rowdy. Yeah, and I think that was a sample beforehand. I thought it was someone yelling. There's someone, there's something that's like, knock, knock, knock. And I thought it was someone yelling, but I think it's a sample. Hmm. As now well. I have to go back and re-listen yeah, to this. Yeah, because I listened hey, to it a few it. times. I know. And it just, it sounds like it's recorded almost. It's it's weird, but, and it makes sense because they're about to play. Can't you hear me knocking? So I don't know if this is like, this is like the beginning of Fishman's trolling samples maybe i don't know i don't know it's, it's not like he had a, a sample pad in 19 yeah i don't know so i don't know how don't they're know. doing that yeah um it's weird i thought it was raucous audience members but uh i was i was also reading a book so it might not have been <laughs> <laughs> yeah listen back and tell me what you think Do what I have to? yeah just yes. to that part the camel walk is the only original holds her song. What? what? You skipped the St. Stephen jam. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Go you got to talk it. about that. <clears throat> All right. Let's More cover it. All right. So there was a St. Stephen jam. It was brief, but it happened and it should happen again. Yeah. That was All cool. Right, I'm done. All right. I'm sorry. That was a big omission. Um, <laughs> so they, they, the camel walk is short and even shorter on the tape. It like cuts, Cuts to the end, at least on the version I heard. And so you don't really hear it very much. So it's mostly just a set of covers, which is fine. But the Eyes of the World whipping post, that's like 35-ish minutes of music, which is which is pretty wild. It's funny that the camel walk cuts because there's definitely early in whipping post what a gap that sounds extremely like a tape flip. Um, it's right mm. at the end, I think, the first like key verse, right, right in it. Then it it cuts right back into like the uh, where they're going into the the little chorus riff, um, but yeah, it's shame about that cut. Camel walk first known performance. It's cool when they when it kicks in. I was definitely like, oh, here we go, ready because yeah, I was not like watching fish. the set list as I listened. Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, it sounds like you're actually listening to Fish for the first time, and and it's it's it is sad that we don't have the whole thing. Super bummer. I would have loved to have heard it. Yeah. Whereas Eyes of the World, when it starts, doesn't exactly sound like Eyes of the World at first. So uh, slow. But they get there. They get there. And then they have this one bit in the jam that reminds me a little bit of Fish hinting at King Crimson or something. It's just like they kind mm. of break it down into this kind of not very deadish sort of sound for a bit in there. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. It reminds me kind of 80s late. Actually, reminds me of almost later 80s dead, which mm. than, than the kind of dead that, you know, like 1984, which is really speedy and um, not quite what these guys were doing. Yeah, there's like a slower tempo to this song. But then during the jam, they build the tempo up and it's they're actually doing some cool stuff playing off each other. Like it sounds like Jeff and Trey, you can actually hear them differently. Like, that's the first time I could really like distinguish and hear the both yep. of them playing, which is pretty cool. And there's a great peak. Like the eyes of the world was not my favorite of the show. Cause it is pretty slow and long, but 
the peak and the jam are actually really good. So, okay. So I have a question for you guys. We have the whipping post, which by the whipping post should just be, uh, you know, it should just be integrated back into the, mm-hmm. back into the repertoire. I think we've, I think we all agree on that. Or at least we've talked about it before. I, I, I think we disagree on who should sing it though. Let's right. go around the room. Who should sing it, RJ? Um, Trey. Megan, who should sing Whipping Post if they bring it back? Trey. Fish, obviously, people. Come on. <laughs> that is that is the existing, I mean, the current state of the of that cover. It's canonical. That's, it's fish's yeah. song these days. They just don't play exactly. it. Exactly. Which I'm not I'm not that I'm not that thrilled about it, but it's fine. I mean, they don't play it anymore anyway, so it's fine. Um so we we have maybe one more show that we're going to talk about with Holdsworth because um, he left sometime in 86. But here's a question. Could Fish have existed with two guitarists, singers, songwriters, leaders? Like if, if he hadn't, he he's voluntarily left, right? So it's not like they kicked him out. If, if he had not decided to, you know, go his own way, as it were, do you think that they could have like been where they are now with two kind of front men, co-frontmen? It's hard to know because, you know, I think when Trey started to bring in his really intense compositional stuff, like I think it was like you and Dre myself that like broke Holdsworth maybe. Not just that song, but like one of them. That was one of them. And I think that that direction was what Jeff was not into. I mean, I think there were other forces as well, but it seemed like going in this direction of like playing this really intense compositional stuff wasn't what Holdsworth was into. So he left. So they wouldn't have been fish then if he had stayed, I guess, you know, maybe they would have, but I don't think Trey would have, Trey would have stayed in a place where he wasn't going to be able to play his music. So. I think that last point is probably the, the key to it Mm -hmm. because I think that um, everything else is a massive supposition that, and, a, and, a, and like a stack of them right so it's yeah. if jeff hadn't decided he needed to do other things with his life if jeff had decided he was willing to uh try to play this material if jeff had been able to keep up with and play this material um if if any of those is a no then it fish does, cannot possibly exist in any way resembling what fish became um even just having a second guitar player would have grossly changed it. Even if he had been up to the material or willing and all of those things. So I don't, you know, it's a, there's a, according to Marvel movies, there is a timeline in which that happened. And I would love to hop over there and (laughs) see what that looks like. But um, yeah, I can't really fathom it. Yeah, it's I mean, I one thing I think that the reason why Fish works and has worked for so long is because Trey has been allowed to be the leader. You know, I think the other band members have allowed him to steer the ship. And I think that is I'm so thankful for that because that's the reason why they're still together. Um their agreement about how they're gonna work together. And yeah, I, I two front men, I don't know. It doesn't usually work out well for bands. I have a I have a counterfactual here. Ooh. I think if bring it if if Jeff doesn't like if Jeff is like cool I'm gonna I'm in like I'm in to like 
playing, learning these songs and playing them. I think he still gets kicked out of the band at some point. I think it's like <laughs> maybe. I think How it was come? always because um, I think Trey really like had like you guys said. I mean, I think the rest of the band members were happy to like you know see the success of the band through like him being the lead leader of it. But I do think there's like, I mean, to me, I just don't think there's any possibility that there's anyone else for like, not, not like in a sharing the spotlight kind of way, but in, in terms of the music and the direction and the, even like the humor, all that stuff, like, you know, there's so much stuff that happened after Jeff left that, that, you know, it's, it's very interesting, but yeah, I feel like Trey has so much creativity that he needed an outlet that was like for him. I mean, he has so much that like, you know, his one band isn't even enough. He has to go have like his own band, you know, like he just well, is so outpouring. At this point, though, Fish is probably substantially more democratic than they were in mm-hmm. 1991 or yeah. what have you, um, even though. Even then, I think they would have would argue that it was reasonably democratic. But I think that the band members were ceding certain decisions, certain responsibilities to Trey. But you raise an interesting point, maybe not intending to, you know, Holdsworth was in the band when Trey wrote You Enjoy Myself. Trey brought that music to a two-guitar band. Um. So what that would have been like ultimately, one wonders. Yeah. So interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. Like you said, Um, what else? I mean, what else about this, about this show? Well, I I haven't really talked about the whipping post. I want to just, I want to make clear that I really like it. I like the faithful interpretation of the song. I like the way they allow it to build and peak like the Allman Brothers, a version of the Allman Brothers. And this is 1984 when I'm not sure if the Allman Brothers were even a thing really in 1984. If they were, it was some shamble version of it right before they fell apart or they just they had fallen apart at this point. Um, in fact, I, I think I showed it to you guys. It's not quite close to hand, but um, it was just a few years later that Dickie Betts released an album with Warren Haynes as the side guitarist, alternate lead, lead vocalist that led to the reformation of the Almonds. So they're playing this stuff in a in a world where you're not going to see the Almond Brothers shred whipping post. Just kind of yeah. interesting to me. That's and so cool. I hadn't thought about that. I didn't know that. That's really cool understanding that because it they they rip it up. I mean it it has like a big, big, big oh there you've got it. Hmm. Yep. Cool. Dickie Betts band, pattern disruptive. Yeah. Warren young Warren Haynes on the back. It's too small for me to even show you guys, but he's he's such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um well, I mean, this, yeah, this, this 80, yeah, 84. I don't know. I was, I need to go listen to the 12 one show now, you know? Yeah. It made me want to do that too, actually. Cause I remember it being uh, like, what, Jonathan, tell me, it tell made me. me want to sit in a quiet room. 
listen to like gentle acoustic guitars and and things like that it was yeah it did not make me go i want to listen to another tape of this era Um, another old fish show yeah yeah. don't worry you can wait till next week to do that then yeah i got i got a few days yeah but the next show it's kind of a big deal there's at least 200 people there that's what the lore says so there you know that's that's pretty exciting for them and next year, we have 28 shows to pick from for 1985. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, coin toss for us. Everybody else is just going to have to wait and wonder what we'll pick. It's coin toss. I don't know. Or don't there will know. be a, a lively discussion via text. I don't know how, <laughs> how we'll decide it. But uh, Brian, we'll come around to it likely. eventually. We're going to make Brian decide. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he gets for not being here. Yeah, exactly. This was fun. Um, anything else that either of you guys have? I get excited. One thing I do like about this tape, it gets me excited thinking about the future of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't need to listen to this show that much um, ever again, maybe even, even with the dead covers. It's just not... The tape is really painful, to be honest with you guys. Uh, and but you can hear the group gelling. You can hear them kind of mm-hmm. uh, becoming a unit. Whereas the you know the eighty three tape was is really just novelty, to be honest. And uh, by eighty five, hell, by one month later, mm-hmm. it's fish. That's crazy. All right. Well, I think that's that's a good way to leave it. So we're going to see you guys back here next week for 1985. Um, I think Back to the Future came out in 1985. So that's exciting. Nice. Nice. It's always fun to get back in time. Where's my (laughs) Huey Lewis records? (laughs) All right. All right. We'll see you all then. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.